2: To the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz Radio News Show, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at Am I the Real Blair. And with me, as always, is my co-host Hassan Rahim, who's on Twitter at hrr5010. Hassan, how's it going?
3: Uh, tremendous, Blair. We've got uh, training camps opening. Um, it feels a little bit. I was going to say, it feels like the first day of school, but school, you know, going back to school when you were like uh, younger, it was just a bit of a bummer, right? So I think this is more <laughs> exciting. So so I have no idea how to like put that into words, but it's like a very exciting time. Hope springs eternal here.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, nervous in a good way or something, but no, not quite. Um, anyway, yeah, excited to jump into the news this week. Joining us on the show, a great guest, Ben Gretsch. He's a former Rotoviz writer and editor. He's currently the fantasy editor... And analyst at CBS Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at YardsPregretch. Ben, thanks for joining us. How's it going?
4: It's going good, guys. Really excited to be on. Back on the road of his airways, talking to you two. I'm a big fan of both of you guys. And uh, you know, I've haven't had a chance to chat with you guys in a little while, but definitely been on the show before. And so excited to be back and excited to to chat about all of the the hype pieces that we can fit into this next hour.
2: That's what uh, the offseason's all about, right? The hype pieces. Yeah. Um, it's
4: July, baby.
2: That's right. Uh, we'll start off with not quite a hype piece. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reports Michael Thomas did not report for the start of Saints training camp on Thursday. He's reportedly seeking upwards of $20 million annually in contract talks, which would make him the highest paid receiver in football. Uh, so, Ben, do you expect Thomas to hold out into the start of the season, or do you think we'll see a deal get done before then.
4: I mean, I kind of feel like we're going to probably see this one, uh, get done. The saints have been kind of just kicking the can down the road for the last couple of years as breezes career winds down and kind of just playing for now and not worrying about the future so they can, you know, push them, push some money to the future and get this done. But it is pretty interesting to see all these, you know, all these holdout talks. We've seen a lot of high profile holdout talks the year after what happened with Le'Veon Bell. He kind of just gave all these players, um, I don't know if they necessarily have more leverage necess- necessarily, but definitely gave them the, the idea, I think, to, to try to get their deals done.
3: Yeah, it's it's uh, actually kind of interesting to see. Uh, I mean, pretty much anyone who's supposed to be fantasy viable as like a top uh, three, <laughs> being selected as a top 36 pick whose contract is up, uh, threatening a holdout. Um, yeah, all that, you know, it kind of says to me, we're going to hunker down because 2021 that uh, that cba fight seems to, to be an actual um going to be pretty a, a pretty tough one uh, uh uh by the looks of it um ben out of curiosity like you know in the event that breeze retires i guess uh in the you know after this season do you think michael thomas is you know sort of um, a, a byproduct by playing in like the new orleans's offense or like um you know do you think he's a guy who's capable of carrying this offense all on his own like without it without breeze under uh, under center
4: yeah i mean i think it would depend but i I think you have to think i think you have to think that's a an interesting (laughs) an interesting uh claim but yeah i think you kind of have to think that uh breeze and thomas are like symbiotic that they're both part of what's happened especially like you look at his catch rate last year it was obscene um I'm going to pull it up real quick, but it was like seven percentage points higher than Wes Welker for the highest catch rate of any player with at least 100 targets in NFL history, which is just crazy. It was eight, it was eighty five percent, eight percentage points higher because Wes Welker had the second best since they started tracking targets, the second best uh, catch rate. Um of a player with at least 100 targets, which was 77%. And then there was a bunch of other dudes that were, you know, that have had seasons in that 75, 76, 77% range. And Michael Thomas goes out last year and puts up an 85% catch rate. I mean, I don't think you can break a record by that much without it being both sides of the equation, uh, you know, helping that. Um, so definitely, yeah, Breeze leaving would would hurt him. Uh, we know that re- receivers are relying on quarterbacks. We know that probably their connection is very strong. And he gets the ball there on time and accurately. But at the same time, you you have to give Michael Thomas a ton ton of credit for just being able to consistently get so open. Um, A lot of those are just really easy catches because he is a really good route runner. I think he's definitely proven that. So I still think he'll be a very productive receiver, but it'll be different without Brees for sure.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I agree with that. I think, you know, you see a lot of times these uh, receivers who have older quarterbacks. I mean, we kind of... Uh, there's arguments made about why you shouldn't like have them so high in dynasty because their quarterback is you know about to retire maybe, but I mean, would you be like Thomas is a first round pick right now in dynasty? Would you think he would drop that far out of the first round or maybe not at all? I mean, yeah, no, to-
4: I not for me, no. Yeah. I mean, I he wouldn't drop like maybe you know, maybe he would fall towards the end of the first round. Yeah. Like I'd probably knock him down a little bit if breeze retired after this year, but he's still, you know, plenty young enough. He's a little bit older than probably he feels he's already 26, <laughs> but, um, I don't think he's somebody that I would just be like selling, <laughs> you know, it's just a sell, you know, you know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, yeah. if breeze retires that, everybody's going to be saying to sell right so you have to make decisions not just based on like what's the first thing that pops in your mind but like what's the market going to do and everyone's going to be trying to buy low or if they if they're interested in buying on him they're going to want to buy lower than his value with breeze so i don't think he would be a sell at that point
2: yeah yeah that makes sense um if we assume that thomas does end up missing some time if he does hold out uh, is there someone in the Saints receiver core you expect to take a big step forward, or maybe they would take a big step forward anyway, even if he plays?
4: Yeah, I mean it's it's Rodavis. We gotta talk about Traquan Smith, right? <laughs> like that's gotta be the guy.
2: Like Yeah, you knew who I had in mind. Like. Yeah.
4: I mean it's not gonna be Ted Ginn. It's not gonna be like what, Cameron Meredith like getting healthy surprisingly. No, I mean I think Traquon Smith is I still think he's gonna be very good. Uh I think he's a great late round best ball pick right now. Um you know, pretty much completely forgotten about obviously, you know, getting being healthy for 16 games, wouldn't be great news for him, but, uh, and, and Jared cooks there now too. And we know just so much of this offense funnels through Thomas and Alvin Kamara, So it's kind of tough, but, uh, I, I still think he's going to be very good. And if Thomas were to miss time, I think it would immediately mean that trick Juan Smith would have to step up. And I think he would have like wide receiver two potential like right away.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's actually pretty interesting. I, just kind of curious how the how they're going to you know put i i guess in the the event of a michael thomas holdout do we see more alvin kamara targets but it's like i i don't know how if you're how could you get to more you know yeah i just don't know (laughs) i i i don't know how you get to more i mean i think i think jared cook becomes interesting in that event but also there's reasons to be wary of like you know um just a guy sort of switching teams a little bit late but again i mean if there's anyone if there's a match made in heaven is breeze plus a tight end who can actually you know, a target that he can hit pretty accurately in stride. Um,
4: yeah, I think it, if Thomas was actually out, I think, yeah, Camaro would add a few targets, maybe one per game. Uh, but I, I don't think he can probably add much more than that based on the fact that he's had over 100 the last two years. They split him out. They use him every way they can. I mean, they throw to him about as much as you could possibly throw to him. And I don't think they want to have him on the field every down because they've never really been that type of team. I think he'll probably play more this year without Ingram there, but – I don't think they're going to have him out there every single down. So yeah, I think he'd get more targets, but I think there would be enough volume to go around for cook to, to out, you know, outperform what his current expectations are with Thomas in the offense and Trey Smith to be a potentially legitimate number one receiver. And then Ted Ginn, I think his role would kind of just stay what it is. He's just kind of a a deep threat. He'll get probably 10 to 12% of the, of the share of, of targets, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to jump to 20%. So if I had to project their offense, I would have Cook the pretty high market share for a tight end percentage, but I'd still probably have Traquan Smith leading the team uh, as kind of the number one receiver, and I think there would be room for both of that probably.
2: Yeah, I mean, Kamara had uh looks like 105 targets last year, which is a little bit short of like what the top running backs had last year, so there might be a little room to, to grow, yeah. especially if the Saints, like without Thomas, if they maybe are not as – not as efficient and have to throw more or something
4: sure yeah that's kind of what i'm thinking like one per game add 16 he gets up to around like 120 like that yeah, would probably right. be the, the ceiling
3: right lions running backs coach kyle kasky said nobody's setting a number on how many touches carry on johnson receives this upcoming season uh this sort of directly contradicts coach matt patricia's statements from march claiming the lions are looking to limit johnson's workload stemming from the season-ending knee injury he suffered in week 11 of last year then you know who's telling the truth here is it uh should we trust the rb's coach should we trust matt patricia you know is is carry on still a solid pick in the third round here because that's that falls into a pretty tricky zone uh with uh with running back versus other positions that you should be targeting so what are your thoughts here yeah i mean
4: it's tough because i don't really love to take running backs uh, around the third round and and then into the fourth and and later rounds i mean i i'm Willing to take him in the first and second with these elite backs, I think Carrion is a guy that I I'm still willing to take because his issues for me are not. Um, I I'm fine with his his touch split. He's going to catch passes um, and and hopefully plenty. But the Riddick is going to you know limit that a little bit for whatever reason <laughs> and. I'm fine with the skill and I, I think he's going to be a very good running back and he was very good last year so the only thing that's really holding him back is this potential touch limit now if something were to happen to Theo Riddick or if something were to happen to CJ Anderson if there were a reason that he had to get um a ton of touches I I, I think he has the upside to be an RB1 I, I mean I think he's good enough and could do that but you're right. I mean, these two reports directly contradict each other, and I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, you have the running backs coach saying nobody's setting a number, and the head coach essentially set a number. So, <laughs> like, there is somebody setting a number. He's your boss. Like, this is not, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, in my opinion, like, they shouldn't be doing it, but I don't really know what to make of it. I, I've been, you know, kind of following the market on this one and kind of operating like a lot of people seem to be that Patricia – being a Bill Belichick disciple isn't going to use him like a workhorse. He's going to rotate his backs. And the fact that they brought in CJ Anderson kind of suggests that as well. And, you know, looking at last year, they, they kind of did that with Garrett Blunt for far too long into the season. Blunt's efficiency was just putrid compared to, to Johnson's, but he continued to get basically the same amount of rush attempts weekly. And then you had Rudick poaching some targets and, and poaching some passing down snaps. So those, you know, C.J. Anderson's now in that blunt role. Those, those two uh, potential vultures are still there, a uh, uh, running down guy and a passing down guy. So you'd, you'd, you'd look at their depth chart and think that he's probably not going to get that huge workload. So that's it's kind of what I'm thinking, but I, I do still love the talent. And if, you know, he's one of those guys I think you can target because if injuries happen around him, he could blow up.
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean... You kind of mentioned it. I know you've done a lot of work on running backs in this range, and we've had a lot of work on it. Sean has written some articles about avoiding running backs in these kind of rounds. And um, yeah, I've mostly been following that advice, but like carry on is somebody who I really like a lot when, (laughs) when, you know, third round pick comes around or... Or if I can get him later. Um, but I, I think mean, the reason I
4: wind up not taking him so much, though, is there's just so... There's a lot of receivers in that range that I also want to take.
2: That's true. So it's,
4: it's like an opportunity cost. on's the kind of guy that I think in an auction this year I might get if I can get him a little bit cheaper. I mean, he might be a guy that I might make my RB1 in, mm-hmm. in a league where I spend a little bit more money on receivers. I like him. But in a snake draft, it becomes tough because you want to build that receiver depth. I mean, obviously that's something that we've all been learning about from Sean for years since, you know, he originally started writing about zero running back, but this year, especially there are so many receivers that I want a lot of exposure to, and I can't get a lot of all of them already in rounds three, four, five, six. You know, there's just a lot of guys in that range. So in pretty much every draft I'm in, I'm finding myself taking receivers almost exclusively in those rounds. So I don't take a lot of Johnson, but it's not like an issue with, with him. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree. When you're on the clock and trying to choose between I don't know, on Johnson and Stefan Diggs, it's it's not really right. that hard a choice. Yeah. Um,
4: and even if he falls around and I'm and I'm thinking him or DJ Moore, who I, yeah. I, I like try to get in almost every draft right now, I mean yeah. I I'm gonna take more. <laughs>
2: like that's just yeah. where I'm at. No, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean the way I'm approaching on is like if he falls to be a crazy value and, uh, you know, maybe the receivers left on the board aren't that inspiring, then obviously I think he's a good pick there, but not somebody I'm going out of my way to target, kind of like you said. Uh, And part of that, I guess, is opportunity cost, but I think given this kind of the ambiguity with, you know, his sort of touch projection, maybe that makes sense.
4: Yep, that's kind of where I'm at too. I mean, we still have the risk of, you know, higher risk of injuries with running backs, and we still have um, you know, I I I think there's a little bit of risk with the Lions' offense generally, and you know, something happened to Matt Stafford especially, but just kind of generally that they they ran the ball so much last year, they're kind of slow paced that there's maybe just not going to be enough scoring there. So there's still those typical running back risks, and it's just it's frankly just more fun to take Stephon Diggs or DJ Moore and just think about the upside there.
2: Would you rather have Carryon or Kenny Galladay? Oof. I'll take
4: Carry On. I really like Galladay too as a talent, but I think they want to lean more towards the run, right? from From a team perspective, so I think if I was picking between those two lions, it would be Carry On for me.
2: Yeah, that's a tough call. I've probably taken Galladay a few times over Carry On, but uh, that's tough.
4: Yeah, man, I. It's hard to not pull a trigger on him, right? But on Galladay, like I, yeah. I've been, I've been skipping him for like a lot of other receivers because there's so many I like in that range. So it's like you find even just a little flaw on somebody. I really like Galladay too, but, and there's not as much target competition this year. Like he could like, if he's as good as a lot of people at RotoViz think, like he could legitimately push for a 30% target share, right? Like, why couldn't he? I mean, I think it's very possible in this offense. I don't necessarily think Hawkinson's going to come in and be a high volume tight end right away. Stafford, not a long history targeting tar, uh, tight ends. And he did have Ebron who we, you know, for a while, maybe it seemed like Ebron wasn't good, but, Ebon went on and has been productive with the Colts now. So I kind of buy in a little bit that Stafford maybe isn't just a huge fan of tight ends. I, I think Hawkinson will probably get some of the golden Tate, you know, vacated golden Tate targets, but this offense is going to have to look a little bit different. I think this year without Tate, who's been this huge target hog underneath for so many years. And I, I, you know, Galladay, I think, could step up and be a legitimate number one who pushes that type of, you know, elite target share. It, it could happen, but just the, the total volume in the, in the pass offense is just scary to me. I don't think they want to throw, throw that much.
3: Yeah, I don't think they'd want to throw all that much either. I do think that there's a a, a long shot possibility that Marvin Jones gets moved um i've got to actually look up his contract status here uh so bear with me while we do that but again i think that there's like you know go- going back to blair's question about like holiday versus like carry on they're going so close in like best ball and i guess pretty much everywhere else now that like we've started drafting regular leagues is it's really a bit of a, a you know who you prefer and, and and i think that over there i've i've been prioritizing carry on uh, in best ball if only because um there's a supreme thirst for running back uh this offseason. Um like it's just like a lot of the early best ball boards, uh, there's a lot of wide receiver value that just sort of falls. Um and um if I'm getting that lit like that like the back half pick, you know, from the anywhere from the one oh nine through the one twelve, I'm trying to go wide receiver, wide receiver, and then I'm hoping carry on sort of falls to me in, in non tight end premium formats. Um Because he's like, I mean, Sean mentioned this in his uh, article, uh, which I think you guys should subscribe and read. Is on his like big board targets, Uh, he mentioned that the only third round running back he considered breaking the rules for was Carry On. Um, So, which is something that I found, yeah, which I found that to be interesting. Uh, Again, and and I think, and I think some of it just comes with with the um, with the with the territory. Um, yeah. So looking over at Marvin Jones's contract, if they trade him, they still eat a 2.7 million dollar cap hit, but they'll free up about six and a half million in cap savings. And it looks like he there he's still on contract for another year.
4: Yeah, I so, don't, I don't think they would do that. Just yeah, because like, who would they play
3: at receiver? Uh, <laughs> like, like they'd yeah. Around
2: they don't really want uh, receivers actually so yeah,
3: yeah. They, they they're they're talking there's talk about three tight end sets now come on <laughs> um but uh but again uh I, I was joking on, on draft night yeah <laughs> oh god uh brandon powell come on um <laughs> but uh but i think i think hawkinson like the pick uh was kind of funny in that uh, it was uh I was joking uh, before the pick came in. I was like, well, the, the the Lions are probably tilted over Ebron's explosion down in Indy, and they're going to take uh, Hawkinson here at 10, and then they did it. And I was like, hmm, this is uh, not at all reminiscent of Ebron. Uh, but no, I I mean, I'm I'm kind of excited for Hawkinson, if only because I think that, like, he's at least bigger than a lot of the, the other third wide outs. I, I, again, and I'm with you uh, about Galladay. I just think that there's, like, we can't see the future, you know, unfortunately, but there's like a, like a path upwards for, for Kenny G this, this year, if like anything happens to Marvin Jones, if he's like, just not up, you know, a hundred percent at the same time, do either of you guys find it weird that like the only two, you know, trendy these are the only two lions that are going in like the, you know, the, the, the the top three rounds. And then there's no one under Marvin Jones much later. Like, Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: It's bizarre. There's a couple offenses like that. I think it makes more sense here. The the team that I've been noticing that with, not to just like completely change the subject, but the Panthers are another one. Like we just mentioned DJ Moore. It's part of the reason I love him so much because last year his snaps were like, they were under, I don't think he played a 50% snap share until week eight, I think it was. And then he he played over 90% for the first time in week 12. And then he basically stayed above 90% the rest of the year until week 17. He played in the eighties, but I think this year, like if you use ADP as a proxy for production, which is kind of like what you're suggesting, too, and you look at the whole offense, the only guys being drafted in that offense right now are Moore and Samuel other than than McCaffrey at the top and and Christian, uh, excuse me, and Cam Newton, obviously the quarterback. But they like Chris Hogan, they brought in these guys. No one's no one's touching those guys. No one's really buying in that Chris Hogan or or Torrey Smith, who they brought in last year, is going to suddenly be good. Um, Greg Olson has missed so much time the last couple of years that he goes really late and maybe he has a little bit of a bounce back year, but it seems like those guys are locked into a ton of volume and it's kind of the same thing as what you're saying with the lions. Like nobody is expecting anything out of CJ Anderson or Theo Riddick or any other receiver. Danny Amendola is not getting picked. Hawkinson goes very late. I mean, that would seem to suggest that the, the offense should be pretty concentrated, Um, at least if we're using ADP as kind of a proxy for production. But I don't know. I mean, I I just – I don't feel optimistic enough about the Lions' offense as a whole. You know, it's just – it's a tough one to be optimistic about. They brought in Daryl Bevel, who – that's not anything that's going to inspire confidence. You know, it's tough. That is interesting what you said about Sean, though, about on being the only guy he would break that rule for in the third to take a running back because, I mean, I was even thinking about that, Blair, as you were saying – like you might take Galladay. I was kind of rethinking it and I pulled up my ranks. Like I have Carry On as my RB16. I have Galladay as my RB19. And, you know, typically I would probably take, I mean, my wide receiver 19. I typically I'd probably take my wide receiver 19 over my RB16, like to be like just as a, a general thing. But Carry On's kind of like the end of a tier for me, I guess, where like he's somebody that I like. I kind of my am long windedly agreeing with Sean, which surprise, surprise. But like that's he's like a guy that, you know, it feels like there's a lot of guys that don't want to take it running back after that, and there's still other interesting receivers, so it's
2: kind of tough. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense that, yeah, he's at the end of the tier, and I don't know who you would have after Galladay, but I know in my own rankings I'm always like that range, and probably I've moved more guys in that range than anywhere yep. else just because I like keep reshuffling because they're all kind of the same there.
4: I don't even draft off my ranks in that range. Like it's like whoever oh, yeah. I feel like drafting right. that day. It's like, right. oh, I'm really high on him today. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's so many intriguing names in that range.
2: It's wild. Yeah. All right, before we get into no shit shit no, I want to remind you that Rotoviz Patreon is back for a second season and even better than last year. Patronships are still just six dollars a month, but we now offer exclusive access to Rotoviz Radio Slack where you can ask questions and gain league-winning advice from many of the podcast and writing team, including Hassan and myself. Uh, patrons get first dibs on Listener League spots, which will be starting soon. And in the $9 tier, you get some sweet His Radio merch at the end of the season. So become a His Radio patron today to join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high-quality industry-leading programming.
3: And speaking of exclusives as a loyal podcast listener, you can get a 10% off a Rhodeviz NFL Pass right now. It's available to the NFL Podcast homepage. Rhodoviz.com slash podcast. Get ready for that playoff push. Gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools. Uh, you get amazing value and support the podcast network. Once again, that's roteviz.com slash podcast.
1: And now I thought from Geico Motorcycle.
0: It took fifteen minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. ...and learn your animal isn't the cheetah... ...but the far less appealing blobfish.
1: Oh, come on.
0: To add insult to injury... ...you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes... ...to switch your motorcycle insurance to GEICO.
1: GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more... ...on motorcycle insurance. Let's consider the secret life... ...of the innermost nesting doll. Living most of her life in the dark... ...inside the other nesting dolls... ...she has plenty of time to think. If she could... Sadly, she has no brain. However, when an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money, but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life.
2: All right, let's get into no shit, shit, no. First item, Ryan Fitzpatrick worked as the first team quarterback Thursday at the start of Dolphins training camp.
4: Uh, I'll say no shit on this one, just because he's Ryan Fitzmagic, right? And it's July, like this is a kind of a no-brainer. Like he's he's got to be the starter. No, I mean, in, in all seriousness, I think Josh Rosen should probably play more this year. They should probably see what they have in Josh Rosen. They traded a second-round pick for him. um I still think he has some potential. Like I, I think the situation in Arizona last year was. I think I've described it as the worst offense, like in modern NFL history. Like I don't, I can't remember an offense since I, frankly, as far back as I can think, that it was as bad as this team. I mean, they were especially when you consider like era adjustments. Like that, they were better. Uh, I mean, excuse me, the the league uh, at, like the league average has been better over the last you know ten years, but Rosen was in an offense last year that had the fewest total yards since I think it was 2006, since like Alex Smith's rookie year with the, with the 49ers. Trent Dilfer started some games for that team. I mean, they were terrible and they uh, were super slow paced. They only ran like 900 plays and they had the worst yards per play in the league. Everything was bad about that offense. I don't think you can really hold that against Rosen. Um, So yeah, I want to definitely see Rosen play this year, but I also always want to watch Ryan Fitzpatrick play. He's pretty entertaining. That's not really like a fantasy, you know, analyst answer. But who cares? It's the Dolphins. He's better for <laughs> he's better for the receivers.
2: Yeah, the Dolphins would. I I mean, I think a lot of the guys on the Dolphins become a lot more interesting with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Right.
4: Yeah, I mean, Kenny Stills. If if we knew Fitzpatrick was like playing all year, I'd take Kenny Stills in the late rounds. He's like not even being drafted.
2: Yeah, I got Gesicki as my tight end one, in Scott Fishbowl. So I'm really kind of hoping nice. Fitzpatrick will. We'll play a, a while. I dig it.
3: Speaking Wednesday, GM Chris Ballard uh, again took time to praise the second-year wide receiver Dion Kane, saying the last two days here have been pretty fun to watch. Uh,
4: shit, though. I mean, it's we're already on the Dion Kane blurbs. Like, <laughs> what Uh, I mean, yeah, it's hype season, right? Uh, we have. T.Y. Hilton, Devin Funches, Paris Campbell. I still think Chester Rogers is like a decent receiver. And then Deion Kane falling somewhere on that depth chart. So what is he at best? Number four receiver? Like, I know there's he's got his truthers for sure. And maybe he'll be great. But I don't think you should be even stashing Deion Kane right now. There's just way too. And they use two tight ends too. Like, how was he going to get targets? How was Deion Kane going to get targets?
2: Very yeah, carefully. Um, it gets in the way of a Naheem Hines breakout, too.
4: Right. You still have Naheem Hines. Like, you're going to use him in the passing game. I don't see it. They Oh, they still have that Zach Pascal, too. Oh, and uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to say his name. Is it Fontaine? D- Darius Fontaine? Right. Like, he's, he's an interesting dude, too. So, wow. I mean, we can just hype up all the Colts' fourth and fifth and sixth string receivers all day. But yeah, they're probably not going to get targets behind Hilton. And Funchess, who's going to play, and Campbell, who they're definitely going to get in their offense, and Hines and the tight ends. It's just.
3: Yeah, all all that says, you know, just when you listed like this, like the list of the, the whoever the Colts the other wideouts are, um, it kind of reminds me of the Amari Cooper trade a little bit uh, because um, Mike Silver uh, reported that uh, before, um, you know, Amari was traded, uh, the Eagles were interested in him and they're looking to trade a second rounder. But so were the Colts interested in, you know, trying to acquire Amari Cooper. So oh, um, the Eagles are another team that have like 47 receivers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, again, these, you know, wide receivers tethered to elite quarterbacks. Again, I, the issue that I really have is, you know, from a start set perspective, um, I would. No, I think Deion Kane is going to be on waivers, and like I play in some fairly deep dynasty leagues, and I'm sure he's on waivers on in probably 30% of those. So, so I'm fine, you know, not r- rushing out to the waiver wire to go get Deion Kane. I'll wait and see if he makes a roster and see how he does in preseason because that's starting up soon.
4: Can you tell me that you like Deion Kane more than Jester Rogers? At least, at least I, give me that take. I cannot do that. I probably would prefer
2: (laughs) Justin Rogers. I think I do too. (laughs) Like, I don't get it.
4: But can we talk about the Eagles really quick just to completely derail uh, everything? Uh, I really want Charles Johnson to get a chance after the AAF because he was sweet in the AAF. Just random tangents. Yes. But he's not gunning because they have a million receivers
2: too. Just get, uh, you know, Deshaun Jackson's not going to play the whole season. Aguilar is probably... Not going to play. Jeffrey will get hurt. And then it'll just be our Sega Whiteside and Charles Johnson. Hey, and Charles Johnson. Right. There we go. We've
4: got it figured out. <laughs> Charles Johnson breakout 2019. Re breakout
2: 2019. <laughs> NFL breakout. Yeah. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler expects Vance McDonald to have a quote, monster season for the Steelers.
4: I'll say no shit. I mean, <clears throat> they got plenty of targets. He's always been a very efficient tight end. I think he's my like tight end 8 right now. I mean, I have him. Yeah, he's my tight end 8. I have him definitely projected for a reasonable uh number of targets. I'm going to pull my projections up real quick too and tell you exactly how many um 81. I mean, that's not a million, but <laughs> I do think that A with his efficiency that he can he can be a usable tight end uh, on 81 targets and then B in the current tight end landscape like there's not going to be a ton of guys that get more than 80 targets so uh you know if he hits that number that i'm that i'm hoping for i'm like i i think he's definitely worth owning now it kind of depends where you can get him he's not someone i'm going to chase because once you get past those first like six tight ends in drafts uh you're basically looking at a lot of guys that could be productive and there's even the really late round tight ends, the the veterans that are kind of just being forgotten. You know, we talked a little bit about Greg Olson earlier, uh, Jordan Reed, who if you're going to go with a super late pick, this guy's never not averaged. He's never his fewest targets per game in his career in a season uh, are five point eight. That's his lowest targets per game average, which would be an over 80 target pace. Uh, and he goes super late. Um, Jimmy Graham, I think, could bounce back on the TD department. I think he's kind of washed, but you know, I, I certainly think he's due for some touchdown regression. I think he only had like two last year. There's some some veteran. Delaney Walker's coming back. I mean, like that whole class of guys you can get super late. So I'm not really like rushing to get a tight end if I don't take one of the top uh three or those next three who kind of go a little higher than I want, but I definitely want to get some OJ Howard exposure this year because uh, another guy that has always been really efficient and might see a little bit of a target boost, or maybe I'm just a little too optimistic, but um, yeah, Vance, I, I think definitely have a huge year and kind of that same mold as, as OJ Howard is a guy who's always been pretty efficient. And if the departure of Antonio Brown means uh, that he gets a little bit more work, I mean, I, I don't really buy into Dante Moncrief, never have. And, and James Washington, could take a step forward but wasn't very good last year um so it could be vance as well you know it could be either of those guys i think they're both guys that you can take flyers on
3: washington coach jay gruden said the team's quarterback competition could come down to the wire
4: uh shit no <laughs> we got you, you guys i like I'm, like, the total, like, want to like straddle the fence on all these. Like, we need a no-shit, shit-no, or it depends just for me. Like, so, I can, like, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I I think Haskins, if unless Haskins doesn't perform all preseason, um, he's got to be the week-one starter. You just, like, Jay Gruden has said earlier in the off season you know, you take a guy at that range, you want him to play, he, 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 something like that. I'm obviously paraphrasing, but um definitely i would assume and i think everything that i've read and heard from from gruden and from washington is that they want haskins to be their week one starter now it could come down to the wire if he's not ready he's a rookie um they do have recent nfl starters on on the roster right they have case keenum they also still have colt mccoy who played a little bit last year and wasn't like horrible but he's also rehabbing uh a leg break as well. Obviously when I say as well, I'm referencing Alex Smith as well. Um, I, you know, I would assume it's either going to be kingdom or Haskins, but I think it will be Haskins. I I'm kind of assuming it will be Haskins and, um, you know, maybe he's interesting in deep two QB leagues where you need, you know, you're feeling like you want to get a third quarterback really late, uh, redraft leagues, obviously in, in dynasty leagues, I'm sure he's, he's on most every roster, but, or he's rostered in most every league, but, um, yeah, I mean if I had to put a, a number on it, I would say, yeah, like Haskins is the the favorite, pretty, pretty heavy favorite, I would say, to start week one.
2: When asked about Melvin Gordon's contract impasse with the Chargers, GM Tom Telesco said, My only thought process is he's playing here.
4: No shit. Because what else is he gonna say? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think he's definitely Uh, I, it seems like the Chargers are going to bear down and, and wait this out. Uh, it's hard to know what Melvin Gordon's thinking, you know, and, uh, JJ Zacharyson just did some really interesting, uh, digging into the contract situation. He actually talked to, uh, Joel Curry from CBS and, uh, sounds like, uh, Gordon can sit out like based on like the Joey Gallow- Galloway precedent that, that uh, uh, Gordon can sit out like nine weeks and and not have his contract told, but he does have to play or else he'll just be in the same position next year. So, you know, it, it wouldn't be insane to see Gordon actually hold out. It's kind of like the, the takeaway that, um, that uh, JJ came to. So I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do with Gordon. I'm like, Drafting lately, seeing him fall into the third round and it's kind of tough to pass him up there. Initially, I was thinking, you know, he's probably going to come play. What Le'Veon Bell did last year was like it's it's recency bias a little bit on our part to think that that's like common because it was pretty extreme. And all throughout the year, we thought it was pretty extreme. Everyone thought he was going to be coming back any day now, basically. Um, and so now we're like, well, Le'Veon Bell just held out a whole year. Maybe that's going to happen. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I really buy that. I kind of think he will come back. What, where are you guys at on this?
2: Yeah, I I also think he probably will come back. I think, you know, if anything, maybe seeing what happened with Le'Veon Bell actually makes it happening again a little bit less likely uh, because just I think kind of Neither Bell or the Steelers really got what they were hoping to get. So, I mean, maybe there would be a little more incentive for uh, one or both of the parties here to. That's a uh, good point. To avoid that, um, people but, have
4: talked a lot about how Bell didn't get. You know, it didn't work out well for Bell, which I don't. I don't know if that I necessarily fully agree with that. Cause I think yeah. more than anything, he just kind of wanted to stick it to the Steelers. I don't think he was <laughs> really that concerned about profit maximization yeah. necessarily, but it's a really good point that you bring up that neither side, like to talk about the team side, obviously the Steelers weren't thrilled with the situation either. So maybe that will tip the scales a little bit uh, towards the player side, but Yeah, It gets back to why why we have so many players holding out right now. You know, Zeke and Michael Thomas and Gordon, like maybe they all feel like they have a little more leverage now because the team has to take them serious because there was such a high-profile holdout last year.
2: That's true. That's true. I mean, I guess, you know, it's easy to see how it worked out kind of well for the Steelers just because they had Connor come in and basically replicate what Bell did almost exactly. So I guess the Chargers would have to think that they have someone – in their backfield who can do that um, if they wanted to like actually, you know, hold a line here. So and I don't know. maybe they do.
4: Maybe they do think that, right? Austin yeah. Eckler has been very good. I Even before this holdout came up, I was thinking that maybe they would be limiting his touches a little bit this year. Just given that he's had a hard time staying healthy. I think he's only played 16 games, what, once in four years and they probably have more depth now behind them than they ever had was kind of my logic. And, Eckler has, has really shown an ability to play. And then late last year we saw Justin Jackson be productive as well. So they probably feel like they have two other good backs there. Um, yeah. I mean it's yeah. it's a hard one to handicap because the chart that's like if you look at it from that perspective too, the Chargers could hold their line and think that they have those two guys that can do it. Yeah. What do you think, Kassan? I think Melvin Gordon.
3: Point. Yeah, I think I think Melvin Gordon actually does come back and play. I mean, he still doesn't need to accrue that service time, you know what I mean? Yeah. The weird thing is, is that um, like Melgo for a while, really was kind of the wide receiver too. Like even like the first year when they went out and got um, Mike Williams, like Melgo saw what I think 82 targets uh, off the top of my head, and he did. You know, again, it's not like he's adding a lot for in terms of uh, expected points added or or what have you. But again, uh, again, uh, like he's a guy who I think they're going to have to pay also um. They can absolutely, I agree with you in that they're going to, they should and can probably hold their line. But ideally, and I know, you know, all that other running backs don't matter or whatever. But from like a team perspective, you don't have much. Rivers is old. (laughs) Your team's honestly kind of underachieved a lot. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this today, but Russell Okung might also not play. Yeah, I mean, um, that's a scary situation. Very, I mean, like, like I hope he gets better. but There's no way he's gonna play this season. You know, this is a this is a team that seems to have either just a terrible medical staff or just like the worst luck because they seem to lose core members pretty much in the off season, like from the time voluntary camps open and then the time actual training camps open. So I guess maybe it's probably better for melvin gordon's fantasy fantasy stock to be nowhere near their training grounds right now in that in that you know we, we know he's got knee issues and he's able to stay healthy but i do think like, one of the two are going to end up caving and again if like the charges continue to hold their line uh, i i think it would behoove Melgo to get back immediately as, as to avoid paying those like hefty fines because he has to unfortunately i mean he has to play it out it's not like it's not like with bell wherein um bell uh was able to do whatever because he was a free agent right i i wonder because we haven't heard too much or at least i haven't followed it as closely as others but how much do you guys think this just comes down to a matter of what's guaranteed versus non-guaranteed as opposed to trying to get the gaudy numbers that like you know Gurley got
2: yeah i really don't know
3: it's really hard to speculate you know like you for me, it's it's
4: probably a case by case basis to some degree, but they're like a, a lot of these running backs seem to be kind of feeling the same way. Um, Gordon's situation is different because he was a first round pick. He's been paid a lot more to this point than than Bell had before his first holdout, and that was one thing that I was thinking initially when Gordon said he was going to hold out. Was like well, you know people forget Le'Veon Bell held out and then showed up the first time around, but Bell had only been paid something like uh, like three or four million to that point in his career. And he showed up and played on the franchise tag the first year and made uh, eight figures, you know, whatever it was, 12 million or something, 10 or 12 million or something. And so then the next year, it makes it a little easier to hold out when you now have eight figures in career earnings, right? So, but for Gordon, he's been paid a little bit more to this point. He got a much bigger signing bonus. He was a first round pick. And also what he's foregoing is a lot less because as a first round pick, he's not on a franchise tag in the fifth year he's on a fifth year player option. The team had the the option to keep him under contract for a fifth year and then chose to do that. So his number is only 6.5 million this year instead of 10 or 12 or whatever Bell was the first time and then last year Bell was at 14 million. So it's you know you could see Gordon A having a little bit more financial security this time around than Bell did the first time and not actually having as much to, to return for necessarily as being factors and maybe thinking, like you said, about guarantees on the next contract. But the part where his contract won't toll if he shows up midseason is really the scary part for me because, I mean, we saw like a video of um, of Sports illustrator was with him at some point for, for some reason last offseason when Bell was holding out. And he was talking with his dad. He was it was some kind of you know uh, piece about his uh, home life or something. is with his family, and he was talking with his dad. And he was saying, "I would hold out." And he, it seemed like he was very frustrated by the situation Bell was in. Um, it's kind of hard to think that he's just going to show back up week one when all we've really heard from him seems to suggest that he's taking this very seriously. And then the Chargers seem to be not wanting to cave at all, and so it. It almost wouldn't surprise if Gordon does miss time and the Chargers might even be thinking, look, we're hoping to make a playoff run. This guy hasn't stayed healthy very frequently. What's the big deal with him showing up week eight and then playing the rest of the season and playing the playoffs? I don't know. That seems like a bad situation, but it actually from like a strategy perspective, it might not be the end of the world for them to to roll with Eckler and Justin Jackson from September through September and October and then have Gordon for the stretch run in the playoffs. But I don't know, man. It gets, it gets
2: tricky. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting.
4: It's a really tough one to handicap. I think as far as fantasy is concerned, you have to take it seriously. It has to affect his value. The question I have, like I, I'm seeing a lot of people saying you, you can't take him in the first or second round. Well, that seems to kind of be the consensus at this point. I mean, I think people have already learned from the Le'Veon Bell situation. They're not just ignoring this and taking Gordon in the first round. The question becomes, what about the third round? What about the fourth round? Like, what if you're in a draft where everyone is just avoiding Melvin Gordon? When does it become a point where you're like, hey, this is Melvin Gordon. And if he reports and I get him in the fourth round, you know, that's a pretty, pretty big steal. Uh, So it's it's kind of a challenging situation. And I wonder what will happen with his ADP if he continues to sit out all preseason as we get into heavier draft season. It's definitely going to be one that we'll have to monitor.
3: Le'Veon Bell said he's up for 500 touches if the Jets can win the Super Bowl.
4: Oh, that's a no-shit, no, no shit, right? No-brainer. 500 touches? Mm-hmm. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely a shit no. Uh, that would be a record. Uh, actually, I don't know if it would be a record if you include the playoffs. I haven't dug into that. But uh, I did look at team touches just to laugh to myself. And I think there's an average of 2.8 teams per year over the last five years that as a team, all the running backs got 500 touches. <laughs> So, like, you know, fewer than you know, less than what, what like five, six percent of the league is going to even get as a team 500 touches. He's not going to get 100 uh, percent of the touches. Now, again, if they go all the way to the Super Bowl is what he's saying. So they would be playing 19 games in that scenario. Um, but, yeah, I just that's that's not going to happen. And it more to the point of fancy value, again, to circle back like this is Le'Veon Bell saying he's up for it. But that's not necessarily what the team wants. That's not necessarily what Adam Gase wants. And I don't think that's going to be available on Adam Gase's offense, which has been extremely slow paced the last few years. They only ran eight. They ran under 900 plays last year uh, in Miami. Now, this is totally different personnel in, in New York. But Gase has played slow. The Jets have played slow in recent seasons. I expect this offense to play slow. I'm avoiding Bell in almost every draft. Um, he, with Pittsburgh, he was playing in a typically up-tempo efficient offense and getting just a ridiculous share he was the gold standard for a running back share of the offense the backups rarely played when he was uh at his absolute peak as a fantasy player we don't know if that's going to be the the same with the jets but even if it is the offense is probably not going to have the same amount of play so his share even if it's as big as in pittsburgh won't amount to the same number of raw touches almost certainly and then more importantly, it's probably not going to be as efficient of an offense. The Pittsburgh offense has been good. The Jets can definitely take a step forward this year. But imagining a scenario where Bell does anything close to what he's done in Pittsburgh is really tough on the team level. Um, and I actually think that his percentage of touches will probably come down a little bit based on some comments Gase has made this offseason. Um, so for me, Bell's, I'm completely off him. I don't I don't take him in any drafts pretty much.
2: Kalen Balazs took the first snap at running back during team drills Thursday at Dolphins practice. Yeah, this was more like
4: a no shit. (laughs) Really? Um, Yeah. I don't even know what to make of that. I don't Kenyon Drake has done something to somebody somewhere along (laughs) the line because he's been productive when he's gotten the opportunities, but he doesn't seem to get them. I'm not reading too much into that. Um, I suppose it's really good news for Balaj in the sense that I don't think it was necessarily even clear that he was gonna be the number two. I thought that was a little bit of uh, too much certainty from from fantasy drafters. Uh they brought in Miles Gaskin. It was a seventh round pick, but they did bring in Miles Gaskin. They brought in another AAF guy, um, Kenneth Farrow this offseason. They brought in Mark Walton, the cast off from the Bengals none of those guys are like notable signings, but when you talk about them making three additions at a, at that position that usually doesn't speak to like a ton of confidence in their, their top two backs. Uh, there's a lot of guys there and Belage only got, uh, 45 touches last year and was a late fourth round pick. I mean, there's a lot of certainty. I think that he's going to be involved quite a bit this year. He did have the one long 75 yard TD and I think it was week 15 last year, but, um, and he ended up with a 5.3 yards per carry average. Obviously, yards per carry, very big no-no to, to reference. But And also, pulling one out of a sample, also a very bad thing to do. But I'm going to do both those things. 35. His other 35 rushes, he averaged something like 3.3 yards per carry. I mean, he just wasn't very good last year, other than that one long touchdown rush he had. Um, and again, yeah, he only had nine receptions, 11 targets. He's working behind a guy who is a pass-catching back. Uh, or maybe he's ahead of him. Who knows? But um, this is a situation that I'm kind of avoiding. I I don't like the the offense. Again, I don't necessarily think this is going to be uh, a horrible offense if, if Fitzpatrick's under center, but it's not going to be good. They're not going to have a lot of scoring opportunities. They're running backs. And I would read this as it's going to be a committee more than Balaj is going to be the starter. So. This is it's interesting. It's certainly interesting. I think it it makes it sound a lot more like he's probably their number two, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how this evolves uh, throughout training camp if we start to see Miles Gaskin work with the first team, if we start to see like what's looking like just an open competition, which might be what this leads into. Who knows?
3: Coach Pat Shermer said number six, overall pick Daniel Jones has exceeded expectations to this point.
4: No shit. <laughs> I mean, Probably shit no would be the the real answer, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the coach saying the number six overall pick that everyone panned exceeded expectations is kind of the expected answer, right? But I'd like to see him play this year personally. I mean, we all kind of crushed him in the fantasy community, mostly because he shouldn't have gone number six. But, like, if the Giants took him in the early second round, I mean, I think we'd have a totally different opinion of him. I I think it's interesting in a lot of my dynasty leagues, even – like super flex leagues, he was like not getting touched in like rookie drafts. And I think there was a little bit of an overreaction to the fact that he was overdrafted. Um, He's in a situation where he's probably going to play some this year. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays, but yeah, it's hard to have high hopes for him. And definitely the coaches, you know, the the head coach saying he's exceeded expectations is grain of salt stuff.
3: Wasn't there a tweet earlier today about like how his first play from under center was a play action pass through it to the sidelines and nobody in particular. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't see that,
4: but that's great.
3: It was something, it was something like that. I don't, I, I know I'm messing up the actual phrasing, but like, I mean, part of what I've noticed in like a lot of, the, even in super flex drafts and rookie drafts is that like, we'll actively avoid not taking a, um, a quarterback we know to be inaccurate. Um, a uh, back was on, um, uh, you know, in the previous episode, he mentioned that like Daniel Jones kind of has like wheels, which uh, again is kind of interesting. He's, he said he's he's got uh, the ability to to scramble, but he's got a noodle arm, <laughs> so that's so that's still pretty good, uh, I guess. I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think like the one part about like about like just to touch on your rookie draft super flex stuff is that like there's something that I'm absolutely guilty of and it's like not being able to turn off the, the part of my brain where I am able to separate fantasy from reality and so it's just like I don't want this guy because he's going to be a bad quarterback and it doesn't sort of and I never take into account like um you know actual you know how fantasy points is at the quarterback position so that's a definitely a hole in well, my and game just
4: uncertainty like if he was good he wouldn't be the first Bad prospect to wind up being like eh, maybe not good but decent, you know. And it like a decent quarterback in a super flex dynasty league is worth holding, you know. Like he could be like Derek Carr, and that would be
3: worth rostering in a super flex. Oh man, people have like the highest, like (laughs) the weirdest uh, impression of Derek Carr. Uh, (laughs) I guess, I guess what I'm what what I sort of uh, wait. uh, What's uh,
2: your impression of Derek Carr?
3: He's a less mobile Alex Smith. Like, 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 this is a dude who is. I wasn't saying that as a compliment. Yeah. Yes, actually, now. <laughs> now, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think Alex Smith now might still be more mobile than Derek Carr. Yeah. I mean,
4: I don't, Derek Carr's not a guy I want on any of my teams. Let's be clear.
3: Yeah, no, it's just, it's just, um, it, it, it's just one of those like things, uh, about like quarterbacks. I, I think, particularly for Superflex in, in, in Dynasty, I'm fine. Um, uh, trying to just roster two guys. Uh, where this Daniel Jones stuff gets interesting is, um, I I think he would have been kind of intriguing if like they still had OBJ. You know what I mean? Like it, it's very difficult to 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 see. Him. And I guess Evan Ingram, you know, is kind of like a a pay limitation. But like it, it would be more exciting if we knew they had more playmakers. I wonder if that's uh, got a little bit to do with it. In that like, you know, they swapped out OBJ, brought in Tate, and and again, it's it's, it's more of the. It's difficult to see him averaging something more than, you know, 240, maybe, you know, if you had to really put a projection on it, it would be like 240-ish, you know, yards passing, maybe uh, 28-ish on the ground, 2.2 TDs, maybe. And that's like, uh, if my math is correct, that's a, I'm not going to bother with that. But be a
2: lot of touchdowns, uh, I think.
3: That would be, yeah, that's about too many touchdowns, right? Like, but like, but the, but the question also comes is like, when does he take over from Eli? That's my other question is like, we don't have, like, we keep hearing the coaches say, no, Eli's the guy. And it's like, well, if it's still week 11 and Eli's still playing, then then it's like, oh, clear, cl- clearly they were like, uh, you know, this was 100% the way to go. It just, it just really, they weird. have ben to was,
4: play Daniel Jones before week 11. Like, they have to.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's not going
4: to be good. I don't know. I, I think we see him by week. I mean, maybe not week five yet, but maybe. But I mean, you took him in the top ten, and they're not going to be good. And we know Eli is not going to be like suddenly going to have a resurgent year without Odo Beckham. He hasn't even been productive in the last few years when Beckham's been on the field. So the the, the calls are going to be there by October. I mean, you got to assume that by like, I, I, I have to assume that by like week seven or week eight, we're going to see this kid play and who knows what will (laughs) happen. You know, like, I I don't know. I kind of like, am almost rooting for him because everyone is so widely paying this pick. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good pick at six, but I like, I kind of feel like it wouldn't necessarily, it's hard to project quarterbacks to the next level. And I don't think it would have necessarily been a bad pick to take him in like the second round. And and have them as your heir apparent, or at least give them the opportunity to try to win the job. It's just more that they made a significant reach that then makes this like seem even worse in my mind. Does that make any sense, or am I crazy?
2: No, that yeah, that does make sense? sense. I mean, I uh, you know I don't have Josh Allen on any of my dynasty teams because I was just avoiding him last year after. Thinking that the Bills made a big mistake by drafting him so early, even though, I mean, everyone was talking about him going that early. So, like, it didn't seem like a reach, but I was just so sure he wasn't going to be a good quarterback. Um And now I'm, like, you know, he's drafting him on some redraft teams.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you're making
2: a mistake. <laughs> well, no, I don't think he's a good quarterback, but he scores fantasy points.
4: Right. He ran enough that
2: yeah, right. he was
4: decent last year. He was unquestionably good at the end of 2018. You can't take that away.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, this this year I'm a little more open to taking Daniel Jones on uh, at the end of some of, you know, in a super flex league. I think I have him in Scott Fishbowl, actually. So, um, yeah, kind of, I don't know, trying to learn from my mistakes, maybe. We'll see. I hope he plays. <laughs> The Jaguars activated running back Raquel Armstead from the active pup list.
4: Um, I don't know if there is even a no shit or a shit-no to say to this. I don't think it depends uh, qualifies either, though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is good news. I like him. I've been drafting him as a handcuff. I don't think Alfred Blue's good. So I think by the time that potentially something happened to Leonard Fournette, if something did that Armstead would be in position to, to be the guy who could take over for that on a team that is a run and D team. I mean, this is a guy, in my opinion, that could be uh, like a zero running back, maybe not star, but like, you know, type of producer in the second half of the season. Um, assuming that he's healthy and assuming that he's there and he can beat out Alfred blue. And he was a decent enough prospect. I mean, I, I, he's very cheap is the, the main reason to like him. So it's good news to hear that he's active and he's on my draft board in the last rounds. I'll say that.
3: Yeah. The interesting thing about this was the medical staff seemed to have messed up his diagnosis and they put him on pop and then he was declared all clear today. Yeah. Why was he even on pop? If he's already cleared. <laughs> no, no. They made the mistake and put him on pop. Yeah. That's this that, I the, guess you're
4: answering my question because they made a yeah. mistake. But, this like, is the staff
3: that we're trusting to keep Leonard Fournette and is like healthy for the entire season. <laughs> this is going to be like,
2: well. Good news for Hempstead then.
3: I'm I'm hoping Leonard Fournette is able to stay healthy, but like maybe they're part of the reason why Fournette can't stay healthy. Hmm. Just asking questions. If if anyone yeah. with the, with the Jaguars' organization is listening, this please prove me wrong. <laughs> I mean, there's probably something to the fact that certain
4: training staffs are a little better than others. I, I think it's, and you know, some of it could just be variants, but who knows? I mean, you'd assume some are better than others, but it's kind of hard to know. Like, mm. if teams just get unlucky with injuries, or I mean, the Chargers is an interesting one, like you brought up earlier. Like, they are always, they always have hurt players. Yeah.
3: Browns coach Freddie Kitchen said Duke Johnson will have a significant role on offense
4: uh no shit i mean they don't really have another backup running back kareem hunt suspended for eight weeks like maybe it won't be like i I don't know what significant means but he's i don't know why we would think he wouldn't play at all like as long as he's there and they haven't traded him um you know they've not really handled the situation well in my opinion I, i didn't really love i love baker but i didn't really love baker like chastising his teammate for trying to trying to get more money or get traded or get into a better situation so i didn't really think that was baker's baker's uh place to step up and say something as a second year player but um yeah i mean i i think johnson will play enough and, and get touches and if he's there and he showed up the training camp so it seems like he's gonna you know play out his side of the deal um you know we still think obviously nick chubb's gonna be the lead back and and play significantly more. But I, I don't know who else would, would be that second running back. I would, I would assume we'll see Duke Johnson spelling him and playing at least some, you know,
2: Sterling Shepard suffered a broken thumb in Thursday's practice and is considered week to week.
4: Um, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a bummer. I mean, I I thought he'd probably be their number one. I'm not really like targeting him because of all the things we just talked about with their quarterbacks and not knowing like who's even gonna be able to get the ball to these guys. But um that's yeah, it's a bummer a bummer news story. But at the same time, you know, it might end up actually just depressing his ADP and typically this type of injury, a broken thumb. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but it's better to happen in late July. Like he'll probably be back for week one, don't you think?
2: Yeah, that I wouldn't mean, yeah, not a doctor uh i would guess um yeah i guess what i'm the you know what's a little bit interesting is if if uh it's somehow worse than uh we're thinking um well it'd, yeah, be a, right. it'd be a
4: bump for Evan ingram it'd be a bump for golden Tate, probably
2: yeah would it be like a big bump for saquon you see him getting more work in the passing game
4: I already have him projected for so many targets. It's kind of like the Kamara yeah. discussion we we're having earlier. Like I don't know that it would mean more for Saquon because I just don't even know how I could probably project him for more. But I, I do have him seeing a lot of targets and being very involved in the passing game.
2: Yeah.
3: NFL Network's Jane Slater reports Ezekiel Elliott was not on the team flight to Los Angeles. <laughs>
4: uh, no shit. I mean he's he's been saying he's gonna hold out. So we're kind of hit the trifecta to go through another, another one. I mean, similar thing to Gordon and the other ones, the uh, the other discussions we've had with Michael Thomas as well. I mean, it seems like there's more high profile holdouts right now than, than I can really remember. Um, and as far as fantasy players are concerned, it's definitely concerning because we just saw this happen last year with Le'Veon Bell. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it Makes sense that he's falling through. This is one that I would expect to get resolved, but um, you know they got to pay Dak and they got to pay Amari Cooper coming up. They just traded a first round pick for, and I know there's um, some concern there about how they're going to manage both of those contracts as well as Elliot and some other contracts that they have to to get done. Uh, so, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they'll pay him. I don't know if he'll sit. Like I would assume that he'll play.
3: Oh, he's playing all 16 this year. Like yeah. I I I don't know like I don't know what like who's giving Zeke counsel, but but he was drafted in 2016 as a first rounder, which means that he's got four years to play. Like he will like he's not going to be a free agent until 2021. He does know this is the year 2019, right? he's got two years he's, he's got to pay 2019 <laughs> and then next year he's going to probably be playing because the team will probably pick up his actual contract option so this is just like like this what is, is the doing? marshawn
4: lynch move he just doesn't want to be at training camp like that's right, what lynch did, did you, like again? four years in a row and then lynch would show up and then the seahawks would quietly waive the fines or at least i remember they did that at least one year yeah. And, you know, there was all this talk about how much money and fines he was accumulating, but the team actually has the ability to waive those after the player reports. And, you know, I think maybe more often than not, I don't really know that they they, they don't actually hold them to the fines as long as the guys show up and play. Maybe that's part of a condition of them finally showing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, these are these are like really tough ones for me to read. Like, I have no idea what these players are even thinking you know but you gotta you gotta assume you're right if if elliot's under contract for two more years you gotta assume he's gonna be there
3: he's definitely in a contract for this year the team's probably gonna pick up his option for next so if he just opts to skip 2019 he's not gonna hit free agency to 2022 like he, he knows how time works right <laughs> and how time works. i would assume he does but like but like who knows
2: so this news isn't affecting the way you guys are ranking elliot at all
3: no I- I w- I'm hoping it actually affects people drafting Elliot. So like he goes a little bit later because then it gets really fun. If you're able to, uh, to get Elliot and then just like mash wide receiver for a while as like drafting out of the 106, 107. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, it's, it's, ne- it's never, it's just not going to happen because I just can't see him like falling there. But again, it just doesn't make any sense wh- why he's holding out right now. Yeah. Like, is he trying to like preempt and try to like gain a contract? Like,
2: yeah, I mean, before they before they spend money on Amari. <laughs> yeah, know.
3: well, I mean, I mean, he he it owes like he that's should. That's not probably, work, though. He should be. It sounds like he should be giving Amari a lot of his cash. Like he was like Amari was kind of the guy that, uh, uh you, you you did a bunch of work on this, Blair, and, and you as well, Ben, like on just how Amari kind of <laughs> was the missing piece to this offense. Like uh, the team goes into 2018 with a featured running back and a wide receiver by committee approach, and then like it's a, a that it like. Flopped. <laughs> How did this not work out? <laughs> oh no, they're not. They're not falling for Gold Beasley.
2: <laughs> Aaron Rodgers said Marquez Valdez scaling has really jumped out since spring.
3: No shit.
4: Um, yeah, I like him. I mean, I, ESB is all right, and Jamal Moore seems like he's just not not gonna work out. They took all three of these guys last year. Geronimo Allison still there. Like they have options, but. Uh, I thought MVS was pretty solid last year. I liked him and, uh, I kind of liked when people were targeting Jeronimo Allison ahead of him in drafts, but, um, the, the drum beat on, on him has been pretty slow and steady all offseason. I think his ADP is going to continue to rise. And I think he's somebody worth targeting. If you can get the number two in, in a Rogers offense, that's like, there's, that's a, that's a good option. Like uh, a couple years back, Devontae Adams had two bad seasons to start his career. And then he was then the draft afterthought and, and uh, blew up right. And uh, across from Jordy Nelson as that second outside receiver. Prior to that, you had James Jones have some uh, spike seasons as the number two uh, outside guy. Um, and then going all the way back to Jordy Nelson, when he was like more like the number three and he had like a 15 touchdown season on under a hundred targets. I mean, all these like, breakouts in the Packers offense and they've done this before they've often been guys in fantasy drafts um okay. I can remember back to when Jordy Nelson had that breakout season he was getting drafted in you know the 12th 13th round or something you know in that range he was a late round receiver option and he ended up having a monster season Devontae Adams here he broke out same deal and you know James Jones one of his years he was Completely free because he had gone to the Giants and then got cut and then came back. It was the year that Jordan Nelson tore his ACL and then he led the team in receiving. And and prior to that, he had like a 14 touchdown season. So it seems to be random guys in this offense that can do it. Uh, and, and you know, MVS is certainly worth a pick, I think, in those middle rounds to potentially be the next guy to do that.
3: Hi Rotovis fans, allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends over at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first Dynasty League and they've now grown to be the world's largest Dynasty League commissioner with leagues as high as $5,000 to enter. FFPC leagues are active and competitive and not a single league has ever folded. Brand new startup Dynasty Leagues are forming right now starting at $77 and up in standard Superflex and Best Ball formats. And for those of you ready for your greatest challenge, take a look at this year's FFPC main event. Uh, What is the main event exactly? It is the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football. And this year is coming at you with half a million dollars as a grand prize and over $3.1 million in total prizes. Come to Vegas for a three-day weekend of live drafts, festivities at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, or just draft online from the comfort of your home. The main event drafts start on August 23rd and they will run through the start of the season. So do not miss out. Get going, get over to the FFPC and get registered and have a great time and playing high stakes fantasy football.
0: Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.
2: All right, moving on to news item number three. Buccaneers coach Bruce Arians said Chris Godwin will never come off the field. Uh, Arians added Godwin should fit perfectly in what we're doing. We can use him in the slot and out wide and Arians has previously said Godwin can be close to a 100 catch guy so uh Ben what are your expectations for the Bucks passing game overall and if Godwin is going to be this 100 catch guy who never comes off the field um do you think that he will start cutting into Mike Evans role
4: well Godwin himself, I like as a player, he's, I was, I've never really been like a huge prospect guy, but I wrote about him a little bit at wrote of his back in the day when I was there, I uh, thought he was a little bit overlooked because he had kind of a weird prospect profile where he had like a peak yardage season one year and then a peak touchdown season the next year. So his dominator rating was always like a little bit lower if you were like combining the two. Uh, but I thought that maybe was a, a positive sign that it wasn't just like one or the other. Like he showed all the ability and, and he had kind of a underrated Um, athletic profile as well. He just was a pretty solid prospect. I thought that was getting a little bit overlooked and still think that everything we've seen, obviously these first two years, like most of the fancy industry uh, portends good things. He's been very productive when he's gotten the opportunities. So I I really like him. The problem is he's really expensive in drafts. He's one of the guys in that range we're talking about earlier that I want to take. I don't seem to get him enough. Uh, because I have guys like DJ Moore ranked ahead of him and he like often goes ahead of DJ Moore. I have Tyler Boyd ahead of him. He often goes ahead of Tyler Boyd. That doesn't mean that I'm low on Godwin necessarily, but I just like those other guys a little bit more. Uh, so it makes it kind of tough to to get him in drafts, but uh, I don't think he'll cut into Evans. And I think there's room for him to be very productive. And the big reason why is I, I think if there was any other coach that took over this offense, I would be concerned about their ability to maintain the same level of uh, passing opportunity the last two years, Tampa has led the NFL in air yards like total air yards, uh, for the whole offense by a lot. They they led it by like a ton last year. Um, they were like over 6,000, they were like in the 6,500 range for air yards. And I'm giving this specific number because people probably don't have a good frame of reference. They were like either almost a thousand yards more than the number two team or more than a thousand yards more. There was no other team that was even, let alone over 600, even like in the high five, or excuse me, over 6,000, even in the high 5,000s in air yards. They were just so far and above uh, with their vertical passing game. Both Fitzpatrick and Winston chucked the ball around the yard. But what's interesting, and the reason I'm really referencing this so heavily, is they led the NFL in 2018 total yards. They led the NFL in 2017 in total yards. The team that led the NFL in 2016 was Bruce Arians, Arizona Cardinals offense. The team that was second in 2017 behind the box was Bruce Arians, Arizona Cardinals offense. He has a very similar system. He also likes a, a vertical passing game. There's still going to have plenty of passing opportunity in this offense. So, you know, they, they have plenty of vacated opportunity, both targets and air yards between Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphries. I think there's plenty of room for Godwin to step into a much bigger role and not cut into what Mike Evans did last year. I mean, we saw what all that opportunity in this passing game meant last year. Evans was great, but Jackson still had some huge moments. Godwin had his moments when he played. Adam Humphreys was like, I think, the wide receiver 24 or something like that in PPR. I was just looking at it the other day, and I was so I was kind of surprised that he finished that high. Because um, unlike Godwin and Jackson, he actually played 16 games and was you know pretty productive throughout the year. And then O.J. Howard obviously was uh, very good when healthy they basically have five guys that were good at at one point or another last year and a couple that were good for the whole season. So, now we're looking at probably like three and I think there's even more opportunity potentially behind Godwin and Evans and OJ Howard for somebody to to emerge. I don't necessarily know who that will be because there's a a lot of intriguing names there. If Godwin's in the slot, it might be Prashad Perriman outside. Um but yeah, I I like Godwin. I I like all this hype. I'm I'm like I'm buying it for the most part, but I'm also having a hard time with where he's going. Everybody's buying it.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. He's not ending up on a lot of my fantasy teams pretty much for the same reasons. I'm just uh, preferring other receivers there. I mean, yeah, when you look at the list of guys who had 100 catches last year, pretty much all of them except McCaffrey had over 150 targets. So um you would need to probably see Godwin getting in that range, which is be more than Evans had last year. He ended with 138. So um, it's kind of a big jump. Um, But yeah, I mean, as you said, there's a lot of interesting guys here. I think we've joked before on this show that it's like, even if they do end up passing the ball the most, there's still not enough targets to go around for all the guys who I want to break out this year on this team. Um, So. Yeah. yeah, they have
4: an intriguing depth chart for sure.
2: Yeah. So yeah, it's um I don't know, it's a little tough to see Godwin maybe getting to that level. I mean, if he did, obviously he'd be a great value in the 4th round, but I still not find myself drafting him. So yeah. Who do you know.
4: like? Who do you like as a third receiver? Cuz I kind of like Justin Watson, but like he's more of a slot guy and they're talking right. about Godwin in the slot, so I don't know if he's going to get that opportunity.
2: Yeah, I like Watson. Um
3: Scotty Miller is another good right. one. Scotty Miller's the That's other one. That's another
2: name that was coming about. to mind. Scotty Miller. Keep
3: an eye on. Keep an eye on here for preseason, I think.
2: It's hard to get excited about Brashad Perriman, honestly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> if Brashad Perryman wins at like, the wide receiver three job, I'm probably gonna tilt. <laughs> um,
4: <laughs> but I mean, if it. there's a situation where he could be productive, you know, a vertical passing game isn't the worst.
3: That's Although true. Oh, the draft Patrick
4: was the better deep deep ball thrower, not Winston. I mean, Deshaun Jackson always had a really hard time with Winston, and Deshaun Jackson doesn't really have a hard time with any quarterback if you look through his career. So it's probably not a great sign for deep target guys. Winston's more of a shorter and intermediate thrower. (laughs) So
3: so you're talking about O.J. Howard? No. Still talking about Brashad Perriman. No, I I just mean that that's July. Like, why wouldn't we be talking about (laughs) Brashad Perriman? Right. Um, This. Uh, no, Demarcus Lodge hype. I guess the uh, third rookie wide receiver from uh, Ole Miss yeah. last God, year. Yeah, he
2: was on the team. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
3: not AJ Brown or DK Metcalf. Uh, the yeah. third
2: Ole Miss receiver.
3: Yeah, just like just like not. Um, yeah, he was not AJ Brown or DK Metcalf. I mean, I mean, part of the pr- the reason he produced so well the last few years is because DK Metcalf didn't play mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, yeah I, I, too, too deep of a depth chart probably for
4: for some of those undrafted free agent rookies to make a big splash, I would think.
3: But preseason DFS, though, huh?
4: Oh, that's where it's at.
3: Yeah, that's uh, that's where all the research is going into these days. <laughs> we're, we're, we're out here learning about uh, Ray Ray McLeod and whether or not we want him for a preseason DFS. You're going to
4: be running Ryan Griffin, Demarcus Lodge stacks in preseason
3: DFS. Oh God! There's <laughs> I, I could just burn my money instead. It's it's, it's probably better <laughs> to get charged for federal crime than doing that. Uh, Coach Dan Quinn said Julio Jones is about uh, two weeks away from being fully cleared to practice, uh, and you know Calvin Ridley tweaked his right hamstring today during uh, the the first the the, the star training camp yeah uh, you know, ben, it's it sounds like the Falcons is wide receiver core. there's a couple of minor injuries, and I'm, I'm not too concerned. since it's July. but you know, this is one of the teams uh, that uh, people have a lot of high hopes for. We're kind of hoping that uh, you know that this is a playoff bound squad here. You know, so how do you see Ridley? Uh, where do you have his role projected uh, You know, in, in your projection for CBS? And do you think Julio should still be drafted uh, in the first round, or is that a bit too aggressive?
4: Um, to the second question, no, I don't think that's aggressive at all. I mean, it's tough for me because I have Juju as my number two receiver, and then I have Beckham as my number three, which is a little bit aggressive, but I just think there is some serious blow-up potential there. So I have Jones as my number four uh, and a lot of people have Jones in the top three and they also have Devonte Adams in the top three. I have Adams at fifth. Um, so it's more just way too much excitement probably on, on Juju and Odell that I don't end up taking Julio enough. But he's absolutely a first round pick. I think all five of those guys should be first round picks personally. I mean, I, I will typically take all of those guys over um, any running back. Other than the big four or David Johnson, who I also would take or, you know, before some of those receivers. But I, I mean, I, you can't, you can't knock who everyone likes to, to knock the touchdowns. You can't knock what he's done from a re- receptions and yardage perspective throughout his entire career, frankly. But over the last uh, four seasons, I believe he's led the NFL in receiving yards per game three times. Uh, I'm going to pull it up right now. Yes, that's true. And he did last year and he did in 2015 and 2016 as well. Um, Pretty clearly the most consistent receptions and yards guy in the NFL, which for me, like, yeah, people want to knock the touchdowns fine. But if he does have a double digit touchdown season in him again, at some point before his career is over, he's going to be the wide receiver one. Like, you know, that the receptions and the yards are going to be there. Like you, you have that floor kind of built in. So he's absolutely uh, somebody that you can take in the first round. and, And I think should go in the first round still. And then Calvin Ridley, he's a tough one. I bumped his projections up a little bit and I'd be lying if I, if I said that it was, it didn't have anything to do with, uh, the goat Sean Siegel, because he's been pretty high on him this off season. And he's a big reason why I'm kind of reconsidering. And I think he makes some really strong points and and Blair, you've made some really strong points on rookie production as well. And some of your wrong read, uh, write-ups, but I've started to bump his projection up and I, he's definitely somebody that I'm targeting and in that same range as a lot of those other names that we were talking about. Um, and you can typically get him a little bit later. People talk about the, the touchdown regression, the touchdown regression will probably be there, but the fact that he was so productive as a rookie, as you guys have shown speaks really well for the rest of his career. It's, it's a, a very positive sign that uh, he was able to produce one way or another, whether it was touchdowns or not, like, you know, he's, maybe not going to score 10 touchdowns again on uh, whatever number of targets he had last year. It wasn't a ton. It was a, it was a really ridiculous touchdown rate, but he should be expected right in year two to probably emerge. If he's a a future star to emerge into a larger role. And so the question is just, do you think he's a future star? Well, if he was that good as a rookie, it probably speaks pretty well to that potential. So, uh, you know, first round pick last year, very good rookie season, over 800 yards. It's not like he was a slouch in the yards department either. So he's definitely somebody that I I think is worth targeting this year. Um, it is interesting that like he was basically on par with Mohamed Sanu in every category except touchdowns. And I, it's Sanu is just a guy who's always there, whatever team he's on, taking targets from somebody. But I do think he'll create some separation there this year. And if something did happen to Julio, you'd expect Ridley to be the number one and and to get a 25% target share. So. He's certainly somebody that has that upside if uh, you know, you know we're all knocking on wood here that you know something doesn't happen to Julio, but he could be an emergent player if something happens on the depth chart ahead of him. Those are typically good players to target as well because um, wild things happen. There's a lot of uncertainty in the NFL. and you know, if you're boxing yourself out on a guy because you just think he can't get enough targets, but you think he's good, then you might be making a mistake there because sometimes targets open up for, you know, weird things happen.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, obviously Julio doesn't appear to be slowing down at all and still um, he kind of showed last year that the touchdown drought he's had is a little bit fluky. Um, but yeah, Ridley is really is... Uh well he's really intriguing to me. I think he's someone that as a prospect I wasn't that high on. Um but you know after after what he did as a rookie, I think you have to kind of reassess uh, what you know whatever you thought of him and kind of um take that into account. So yeah, I mean just insanely efficient as a rookie, which is usually a good sign and always tends to lead to uh more opportunity in the next season. So um he's someone who i'm hoping to take a really big leap in uh in his year two um kind of you know kind of juju smith schuster-esque maybe what he did last year after coming off a almost breakout rookie season so um yeah i have really high hopes for ridley kind of kind of being yeah a little... that's
4: a great comp. i mean yeah. that that that's That's exactly right. I mean, Juju was that guy's rookie year. He didn't necessarily get enough targets, but then the volume just shot up last year. He was so efficient in his rookie year, and it was one reason I was – I loved Juju as a player, and I actually was similar. I didn't really like Ridley as a prospect as much as, say, Juju. Um, But going into last year, Juju was pretty expensive, and it looked like maybe he wouldn't be able to get enough targets. There was a long history of the wide receiver two for the Steelers not getting 100 targets – and I think I went back to 2013. No wide receiver two had gotten a hundred targets in that offense behind Brown. And a big reason for that was Le'Veon Bell had gotten a hundred targets a couple times and was always very involved in the passing game. And that's a perfect example of essentially what I was just trying to describe, which was a player that I feel like I missed on because I was too worried about his path to big targets. And then the Le'Veon mm-hmm. Bell situation happened. And, you know, I was just saying weird things happen. Well, that was a weird thing that happened. Juju all of a sudden has a little bit more of a path to be a wide receiver, two in that offense and get plenty of targets. He winds up getting 166 last year because he's good enough to earn that kind of a market share and Ridley could potentially be in that type of situation this year as well. Uh, maybe not 160, but in a situation where he becomes a high volume number two next to Julio um you know a lot of teams are talking about or a lot of people are talking about how they're going to throw less this year their whole defense got hurt last year i do buy into that but their personnel has changed too they've lost Kevin coleman and ridley's own emergence might mean that they just want to pass more going forward so i i definitely think he has the potential to emerge and then if something like i said were to happen to julio or maybe to sanu or hooper or both of them it might just end up being a two-man show
2: all right, well, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest, Ben Gretsch. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at YardsPerGretsch. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His Radio channel on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter, at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, slash podcast.
1: Right now at T-Mobile, get an awesome iPhone XR on us when you bring your family over and trade in your old device. Because whether you have mom, dad, or a friend on your mind, it's a gift so bold and brilliant you'll want to keep it for yourself. And most importantly, it's on us in six vibrant colors plus with unlimited everything from T-Mobile the awesome iPhone 10R will have everyone snapping streaming and sharing to their hearts content all year long but don't wait it's only for a limited time so visit a store or call 1-800-T-Mobile and get iPhone 10R on us congested customers using more than 50 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds due to prioritization video at 480p via 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers plus tax qualifying trade-in port-in service and finance agreement required contact us before canceling our credit stop and remaining balance due 64 gigs zero down plus 31.25 per month for 24 months pre-credit price 749.99 zero percent apr one offer per account they call you the grill master you've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop and as you lift that first forkful to your mouth you savor the moment to get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus you can enjoy six months of serious XM all access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles offers end September 3rd Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing
0: for the one standing guard for the eagle-eyed for the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickranger.com/safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.